Well, you see that the banners are still up. Last week, we celebrated Pentecost, and that excitement that on Pentecost is the celebration of God's Holy Spirit coming and being with the church, that no longer is it special, significant uh, events of certain persons in the Bible, but rather the Holy Spirit is coming now and is with each of us. It's a celebration. So it seemed good to keep the banners up another week or two. But today, three banners reminds us of the traditional service that follows Pentecost, the Sunday after Pentecost in the church is traditionally Trinity Sunday. The belief, we believe in one God, but in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Trinity Sunday, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I think all of us have experienced events or where one event leads to another event leads to another event, right? I mean, we've all been through that. Uh, sometimes that's a negative experience when one event leads to another event leads to another event. Let's say you're, uh, you're baking brownies or no, maybe even cookies and, and you've you're got all, everything together, you start making it and you realize you don't have enough flour in the flour jar. So you quickly run to the pantry to get another five-pound bag to jump, dump it in. And on your way to the pantry, you remember, oh, that's right, I was mopping. I left the mop and the bucket there in front of the pantry door. So you have to move that aside kind of with your foot because you're carrying the, the container. And as you move it aside, the mop, the mop uh, arm drops and hits the picture on the wall, knocks that off the wall, and now you've got to get the broom to clean up all the glass. We've been there, right? One event leads to another event leads to another event. Sometimes it's positive. You go to the doctor for something that is rather routine. It's been bothering you a little bit. It's not too big a deal. And as they're looking at that, they do a scan because that needs to be figured out. And then, but the scan reveals in a whole different area that you've got a much larger issue. And because they've done this, because of the small thing, suddenly now you're months ahead in the treatment and things are going to go very well just because one thing led to another and it's actually going to be a positive outcome. Today, Trinity Sunday, is a day in which we often read a passage from Scripture that has the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in it. Now, there's not a lot of those passages but this is the Sunday in which we lift those passages up. And so today, we're reading at the very end of Paul's letter, to his second letter to the church in Corinth, known as 2 Corinthians. At the very end of his letter, he writes... Oh, see, I, I'm in charge of the slides. We're now in trouble. He writes, May the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, you hear that most every Sunday when I say at the benediction, may the love of Jesus Christ, uh, may the, no, I can't remember it, the love of Jesus Christ, 
That's not right. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God. See, that's the problem. That's why I don't read. I get in trouble when I do that. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and forevermore, is often said at the end of the benediction. But what comes before that is what we're going to be about today. We're going to, because we had to go into this Trinity passage, we actually are being blessed with something else. Those closing words that Paul has to say to the church. And they become a prescription or a description of who we are to be as a church. So let's pray and then we're going to read through God's word together. Almighty God, may you bless us this morning. May your spirit guide us through your word that we might hear what you have to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 13, verses 11 through 14. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind and live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right. So, when we write a letter, we have a certain way of finishing up our letters. We usually have some kind of closing remark. We usually say some level of praise or encouragement. And then we often give some notation of kind of what spirit we're writing the the letter in. You know, it could be sincerely or cordially or love. And then we sign our name, right? That's the way we close our letters. Paul also has a way of closing his letters. He's got a pattern. It varies some from letter to letter, but he has a pattern. And in his pattern, one of the things he gives besides that benediction we just did of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, he gives also, besides the benediction, he gives exhortations or really directions for us. We do that all the time. When we're about to leave someone, even if we're not writing a letter, informally we're about to leave and let's say you're a parent leaving the house right and you give some final directions for the next few hours for the kids you know you're going to be away for a few hours you're going to the store to shop whatever it is and you give a few directions to when i come back i want to make sure you did x y and z right you know pick up your room clean up this living room. You give some directions. That's what Paul is doing. He's giving some directions about how we are to be the church of Jesus Christ. He's writing to the church in Corinth, which has been a troubled church, and he's giving them directions. It's kind of a summary of everything he said, a synopsis, if you will, everything he said within his letters, and he's summarizing, giving a direction. And I just want to be clear, the directions that we're going to go through this morning, you're not going to get directions about giving one another a a holy kiss. Okay, so if any of you are sitting here uncomfortable at the moment, by the way, I had a pastor who once did that, and I still remember my father just getting more and more squeamish in the seat. Not going to go there, okay? That's another conversation. 
Today, we're going to do this. I'm going to give you five different directions that Paul gives us, and I'm trying to give you a way to remember it. R-R-E-O-P, or reap. That was not a very good word for me either. Reap. I kind of feel like Astro from the Jetsons. Roro, George. All right, so R-R-E-O-P. So how are we going to remember that? Well, first, R&R. Rest and relaxation. You can remember that, right? Okay. And EOP, encourage other people. Now, the problem with this rest and relaxation and encourage other people is they don't stand for what we're really going to talk about. But if you've got to remember R-R-E-O-P, if you want to make it past lunch today, trying to remember what was talked about, how we are to be the church, R-R-E-O-P, rest and relaxation, encourage other people. So, what are they? R, the first R. Paul is saying that the church, if you're going to be the church, you need to rejoice. That's the first direction he gives us, to rejoice. And really, it's not a surprise that he says this. If we read through Paul's letters, we find that he says this in more than one letter to more than one church. In the church in Thessalonica, he says to rejoice. And I think 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 or thereabouts. The place we know even more so is in his letter to the Philippians, where he says something more familiar to us, where we've heard, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. And he's writing that to a church that is suffering under persecution. It's like, you know, it can feel like, well, you know, hey, you're getting battered and so forth, and yet, hey, it's a great day. Well, wait a minute. Just telling us to rejoice can leave us feeling very uncomfortable. I'm supposed to be one way, but I'm feeling another. That's not what Paul is about. Paul is not telling us to be something that we're not feeling. Rather, he's trying to connect our feelings and what we, what we are to be together. And what he's trying to say is, look, I want you as a church to keep the bigger picture in mind. I want you to keep in mind that we have been saved through Jesus Christ. That you are so loved of God that God sent his only son, his one and only son, to die for you. God isn't off there in the heavens so busy that he can't think of you. No, he's thought of you so dearly that he's given his son for you so that you can be restored to God. And so Paul is saying, hey, when you're struggling and when you're suffering and when things aren't going your way, I want you to remember that in the bigger picture, God has you. And no one can take you out of God's hands. I want you to rejoice in the joy that you have, that you have been saved. Now, there's five things, so we could go through all these. I mean, I could have made this a sermon series, but we're going to try and rush through this because we're trying to get to the idea of what it is to be the church. To be the church is to remember that we are people who are called to remember the bigger picture. When we're getting pulled over for going 70 in a 55, and we're not happy because now we're late and we're embarrassed and we're struggling and we'd really rather negotiate because the guy in front of me was going 75 or 80, Paul's calling us to rejoice. 
Because in the bigger picture, God has you, has claimed you, and has paid the highest price for you. You are dearly loved. The next R, restoration. Paul is saying in the church, it is all about us as individuals and as a community being restored. Now, Jesus has already paid the price for us. Our sins are washed away. But the restoration Paul is talking about is a resetting or returning back to the way God originally planned for us. Or to put it differently, it's about seeking out God's plan for us and allowing our lives to start to be shaped by who God is calling us to be. Restoration is getting off of our plan and moving into God's plan for our life. It's cleaning things up. And let's be honest, there are always things to work on in our life. We do that all the time. We work on a lot of surface issues like trying to lose weight or trying to get more healthy or trying to eat better or I want to read more, watch less TV. We've got all sorts of things we do like that. But Paul is saying, look, to be the church of Jesus Christ is to be seeking out who God really wants me to be and where the Holy Spirit is pressing in on me to let go of this and pick up this instead. And we have a world of items to work on, each of us. None of us is ever done. But in the technical theological terms, Jesus justifies us, and now restoration is about the Holy Spirit sanctifying us, working on us, helping to change us. To be the church of Jesus Christ to the outsider is to see people who are constantly working on our failings and who we are so that we can become who God wants us to be. Okay? The third item, remember, we've just done rest and relaxation or rejoice and restoration. The third and fourth and fifth were, remember that, encourage other people, right? So the third one, fortunately, is encourage. If restoration is about us working on ourselves, encourage is about the fact that we don't do that work alone. Matthew just stood up here before us, and we stood up and we made promises, and we went all through the formal stuff, but what really is intended in the church is that Matthew needs to know that now not only does he have parents who love him and siblings that care for him, but now he has a whole church that has his back. That when he's sliding and when he's struggling and when he's doing the obvious things that teenagers do, that there's a whole world of people that get it, have been there, understand, can be full of forgiveness, grace, but also, hey, come on, let's get back up, let's get going the right direction. The church is about a group of people that are willing to live life together through the ups and downs and encourage one another. And I want to say personally, my experience over this first year here in Hamilton is my incredible appreciation for a small community in which a church knows what it's like to be family and truly encourages one another 
despite all the ups and downs. If I were to give us a grade report on these five things, I think this is one of the places that we might be ahead or scoring fairly well. We are called to be in each other's business in a way of encouraging, not in a way of tearing down. Encourage other people. E is encourage. O, unfortunately, leaves the path. It's not about other. It's about one. Paul is saying that the church of Jesus Christ is one. And again, this shouldn't surprise us. In many of Paul's letters, this theme shows up. The theme of being of one mind, having the same mind, being one. Now, Paul's not saying that we have to think all the same, that we're not allowed to have divergent thought. Uh, That's not his point at all. Remember, he's writing to a church in Corinth that is deeply divided. It's full of divisions. And I'll remind you that the evil one, that's the way the evil one works. The evil one works to divide us, to find ways that we will separate from one another, to break from one another. The evil one is all about dividing us because when we are divided, it's easier to conquer. Paul is writing that, hey, in Jesus, we are one. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. We are one. We are to be of one mind. And what that means is that we need to be working, much like in the Rejoice, we need to be thinking about what matters most, what is central, what takes place over other things. If you go on a mission trip, for example, you know what the mission is, you're deeply devoted to the mission, and you let some of the other periphery stuff really fall away and be periphery. Paul is encouraging that the church is to be one. Matter of fact, this item is one of the four items that the historic church throughout the centuries has claimed. You know, if people say to you, you know, how do you know a church is a church? You know, what what makes a church a church? Well, there are four different marks, four different checkboxes that have been known through all the centuries. And this is one of those four. It's one holy, Catholic, apostolic church. One holy, apostolic, Catholic, apostolic church that we are to be one. Again, it's not about wiping away individual thought. It's about being central in our focus and being about Jesus Christ, that we're about him being our Lord, and we start working together. So, rest and relaxation, encourage other people, R-R-E-O-P, or reap, brings us to the last one, peace. Paul is saying, hey, to be the church, these are the five things I want you to be about before I come back. I want you to be about rejoicing. I want you to be about restoration. I want you to be encouraging each other. I want you to be one. And I want you to be about peace. Peace. 
This is a powerful part of what he's calling us to be and do. To be at peace. To give peace. This is one of the gifts we bring to the world. It's not only being at peace with one another, but it's being at peace with the world around us. The world is in constant turmoil, constant struggle and strain because we know as believers in Jesus Christ that the world is broken, that in the beginning that great and beautiful creation was marred by our own selfish desires, taking the fruit from the tree when we shouldn't have. And everything unraveled from there and continues to unravel. The world is broken and struggling. But God's answer to that is Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, the one who comes to a broken world. And instead of coming in incredible judgment, comes and sacrifices himself in our place and calls us to do the same. He says, pick up the cross to follow him. And so that is a, to bring a message of peace to a broken and struggling world. And the church has done that throughout the ages. Maybe I've shared with you, but early on in Roman culture, when the, the church started to break into the Roman culture, they were doing a fascinating thing. In Rome, when a baby was born, the father of the household would decide whether that baby lived or died, whether or not that baby was accepted into the household or not. And if the baby was not accepted, which is a hard fact to encounter, but it was happening all the while, that baby then was left to struggle on its own. And because most could not kill the baby themselves, they would leave the baby somewhere out on the outskirts of town, often in the same place. And of course, the babies wouldn't survive because the animals knew that that's what happened, and so they'd hang out in that area. I hate telling you this horrific stuff. It's awful. It's the underside of a broken world. We can judge the Romans, but we can judge ourselves as well. But you know what the Christians did? those early followers of Jesus, they started to go out to those places and pick up those babies and take them home and raise them as their own. People thought they were crazy. But they were living out the fact that God had saved them. How could they save someone else? And they brought peace to countless children. The church is well known for giving peace to a struggling and broken world. Sure, sometimes the history is scrubbed and people forget, but hospitals came about because of Christians who were desirous of helping to care for and treat people. That's why so many hospitals, though they've been renamed countless times since now, so many hospitals originally had some kind of denominational name attached to them because they were born out of the church. Education, the very idea of schools themselves, again, born out of the church, trying to bring peace to discord and brokenness, trying to help people to grow and develop and not be stuck where they were born. Time and time again, the church has decided that to live out peace 
is to sacrifice and to give to others, to care for the other. So when Paul writes this final quick ending before the benediction that becomes the Trinity statement, we find ourselves suddenly reading something that's very powerful and not quickly to be read over. Five different callings on what it is to be the church of Jesus Christ. And he's calling us, calling us to rejoice, calling us to restoration, calling us to encourage one another, calling us to be one, and calling us to live in this world with a message of peace. Paul says in his letter, if you do these things, if you do these things, the God of peace will be with you. If you do these things, the God of peace will be with you. And then he says, and may the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, you know how much we need you how much we need you to direct us and guide us. It's so often a pattern of ours to come and go and forget what we are to do next or strive and struggle to do something more but not sure we are. We thank you this morning, O oh Lord, that you give us a prescription, a direction. Help us, help each one of us to find ways to work on at least one of these five items that next week we might come and return to you and that you may look upon us as good and faithful servants that are striving to be who you call us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been reminded here of the grace of God and that we are to extend that grace into the world to reflect God's goodness. And here on Trinity Sunday, I remind you again the benediction you so often hear, that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and forevermore. Amen.